Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Your baby's head is uniquely made to mold for birth and move to accommodate a growing and developing brain. You may have been told to be extra careful with the soft spot on your baby's head, but how much do you really know about these fontanelles? I'm Dr. Stacy Merlot, doctor of chiropractic, specializing in pregnancy and pediatrics, and this is Newbies. He's gorgeous. Um, it's a girl. Surprise! The whole family's here! So when are you having the next one? It's just poop. Ready for another? Wow, you look really tired. Ready to go back to work? Yellow poop? Seriously? Did you sterilize this? Sex? Now? You've got to be joking. You should sleep when the baby sleeps. She doesn't look anything like you. I thought you already had your baby. I did. Babies don't come with instructions, so there's newbies, helping new moms and new babies through the first year. Welcome to Newbies, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Newbies is your online, on-the-go support group, guiding new mothers through their baby's first year. I'm your host, Kristen Stratton. I'm also a certified birth doula, postpartum doula, and owner of Indu Season Doula Services. Have you downloaded our Newbies app yet? It's the best way to listen to our show on the go. If you haven't already, be sure to visit our website at newmommymedia.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to our show through iTunes, so you'll automatically get new episodes when they're released. Sunny's here to tell us about other ways you can participate in our new show. All right. Hi, everybody. So we love to hear from our listeners. And so there are a couple different ways that you guys can connect with us and be part of our show. We have different segments that you could be part of. So I'm going to tell you about some of those now. One is a brand new one called Mommy Brain that we're launching. And it's going to feature your stories, your funny stories of things that you've done that you're just like, what did, you know, what did I just do? Or things that you totally forgot. Um, we think we're going to generate some pretty funny stories from this, and we want to share that with our audience. So if you have some funny mommy brain or daddy brain moments, that's fine, too. Um, we would love to hear about that. Another one is uh, the best apps for new moms. So as you guys know, if you guys listen to Newbies and some of our other new mommy media shows, we love to talk about apps. Um, you heard Kristen say that we have our own apps. And so we're a big fan of apps because parents are always on the go. So if you have some apps that have helped you, um, you know, being a new mom, a new dad, and you want to share that with 
other parents out there. Um, we'd love to have your recommendations, and then we can kind of check into it and kind of give it our own little review. So if you want to submit for either of those opportunities, you can go to our website at newmommymedia.com, click on the contact link, and send us an email. Or if you have a story to share and you actually want to tell it yourself as opposed to me or Kristen sharing it on your behalf, you can leave us a voicemail, and that number is 619-866-4775. And uh, no one's going to pick up the phone. Just leave a message, and we'll include it on an upcoming episode. So let's meet our panelists. My name is Sarah White. I have two children, a three and a half year old little boy, and my daughter just turned one. I'm a stay at home mom with them and a marine wife. And we actually have a panelist calling in today. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Luke. Hi, I'm Luke Berger. I have a wife of 10 years. I have a two and a half year old daughter and a four month old daughter. Welcome to the show. Thanks. My name is Allison Koenig. I am 25, and I am a doula currently on maternity leave. I have a two-year-old son and another little boy on the way due in January. Welcome to the show. All right, so before we get into our discussion today, I found a news headline that caught my attention, um, and I'm really glad that we have a, a husband, a male, represented on the show today to talk about this, because the headline is, uh, science says baby fever affects men, too. So you always hear about uh, women supposedly getting baby fever and wanting to have lots of babies. And so uh, basically, in a nutshell, this was some research that was done at Kansas State University, um, and it was conducted by husband and wife pair, <laughs> and they wanted to investigate baby fever and who actually gets it, uh, specifically after the birth of, let's see, after the birth of their second child. And so they went through this formal survey, and they found that both sexes develop the fever, although the intensity of the sensation varies greatly over time. And so it says, when asked to rank the importance of being famous, having sex, having money, and having a baby, women rated having a baby be slightly higher than men who greatly preferred just having sex. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, and it says, in an attempt to explain baby fever, the researchers adopted three views. First, that people, mainly women, are programmed to feel that they're supposed to have children. Second, that people want to have children to fulfill a natural role as a nurturer. And thirdly, um, that baby fever is a signal to the brain that the time may be right to procreate. So that sounds kind of technical or whatever. That They said that that they thought that made the most sense uh, for the people that were doing the testing. Anyways, um, it says, also worth mentioning, for women, the urge to have a child dampens after the first baby. For men, however, one kid means a sudden desire to have even more. So what do you ladies and Luke on the phone, <laughs> what do you guys think about this? Uh, Kristen, let's start with you. Oh, I think this is so true. <laughs> yeah, I think – well, I've, I've also – just naturally thought that uh, when it's time for a woman to ovulate, that that would be a time where she would feel mm-hmm. most likely the need to be intimate because, you know, we're biologically driven. That just makes sense. But I know for a fact that when my husband gives me this look that he gives me every once in a while where he just gets all sappy about how cute our kids are and he just looks at me and I just kind of melt and then I have to say, no, no more. (laughs) Three is enough. Um, So I definitely think this is true. So I'm really curious to hear what the panelists have to say. Yeah. 
I absolutely agree. <laughs> I uh, I think that deployments for some men definitely rev up the baby fever. Oh, of course. Um, they come home and they missed the kids and they missed things. They missed first steps and first words and they think, I want to do this again. I want to yeah. try again. Yeah. And aren't they cute? And they forget all the diaper changes because they were so long ago. <laughs> so why not have another baby for the cute fun part? I think they also miss miss sex in that sure. situation too. They just yeah. want to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, I just want to add that I haven't even popped out the second baby and my husband's already talking about baby number three. You're kidding. No. He's like, he found out this one was a boy and he was like, well, maybe we could try for number three and see if maybe we have a girl. So I think it's absolutely true as well. Boys, men can get that baby fever. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Luke. Well, I, I can say that uh, I actually do change a lot of diapers, and uh, <laughs> I deal with crying babies, and I help in the middle of the night. And even after the second one here, I was ready for a third right away, and Tracy gave me the the, the death glare, saying, <laughs> can, I, can I just heal for a couple months before we uh, go for three? So I definitely have baby fever after the second one. I did not after the, the first one, but... I am so ready for another one, and we've got a four-month-old. So, Oh, my god! It must be all that oxytocin. Maybe. Yeah. See, I was the one definitely with the baby fever, but I knew I wanted to have my kids like boom, 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 you know? And so part of that was just kind of a plan kind of thing. So I don't know how much of that was – I mean, I did. I did. I, I, I don't know. I'd look at other babies, and I do that even now, and I just like want more kids. Not happening, though. But my husband, I always had to like gear him up for it. He was – you know, I don't know. My husband does not fit this mold. This article is talking about. See, whatsoever. if I went home today, my husband would be like, "Okay, really? Yeah, yeah he just oh, loves so having funny. a little a little baby around." Aw, so. so cute. Today on Newbies, we're discussing fontanelles, the soft spot on your baby's head. Our expert today is Dr. Stacy Merlo, chiropractor and co-owner of Good Vibrations Family Chiropractic. Thanks so much for joining us, Stacy, and welcome to the show. Thanks. It's awesome to be here. Stacy. what are fontanelles and how many are on a newborn's head? Yeah, so Kristen, uh, fontanelles are the soft spots um, between the cranial bones on your baby's head um, that make up the skull of your baby. Uh, during birth, they enable the bony plates of the skull to flex, allowing the child's head to pass through the birth canal. They also account for some rapid growth of the infant's brain in the first year of life. Um, your baby brain is actually about 66% of its full-grown size by the age of two, so it expands tremendously, um, So, and the cranial bones can't keep up with their growth, so kind of helps to create some gaps so that the baby's head can grow and flex and change for that first year to two. There are six of them actually on the baby's head. Um, One is, um, well, the posterior one is right at the back here at the base of the skull um, between the sagittal and lambdoid sutures, which is maybe irrelevant to most of our listeners. So, but it's kind of triangular shape there. And then the anterior fontanelle is the one with that most people feel. It's that big soft spot kind of at the front uh, top of the baby's head. Um, It's also, sometimes you'll hear the bregma Sometimes people will talk about that. And then the there's two smaller paired ones on either side of the head, uh, the sphenoidal in the anterior lateral and then the mastoid sort of posterior lateral. So there's two here and then two here to make six all together. And why do you think the name soft spot came about? 
I think just like you said, like it sounds, you have your sort of hard cranial bones that you filled and they're hard ossified plates. Um, and then the fontanelles are smaller sort of indentations, which are covered in more of a softer membranous covering uh, called our meninges. I know that fontanelle comes from the lateral term little fountain, but the soft spot, I think, is just sort of more of a general term for for that softer indentation in the baby's head. What about having these separated pieces of the baby skull is so important during the first year of development? They're important for birth because human babies have the biggest head of almost any mammal that gets passed through. And we're actually delivering babies earlier than their full term development because of that size of the head. And all of us have had babies in the room and we know, we know how, that that's the hardest part. You know, we talk about how big babies are and people will say, Oh my gosh, well, I had a t- eight pound baby or a 10 pound baby. And my biggest thing is, but what was their head size? What was the circumference of that skull? Cause you know, as a doula, once baby's head passes through, the rest kind of slips out. It doesn't matter if they were 21 inches or 23 inches. A lot of it has to do with the size of the head. So it allows baby's head to, so it decreases the circumference of the head to make it easier for baby's head to pass. And then, like I mentioned before, it allows for that rapid expansion in their brain size postpartum as well. So their skull will mold to exit the birth canal in a vaginal birth. Yes. Um, So what happens to the baby's head after birth? Yes. So during the descension of the baby through the birth canal, the cranial bones will overlap to make it easier for them to pass through the pelvis. After birth, these bones should normally return to their free floating position within about 24 to 48 hours after birth. Babies help with this process by sucking and crying. They increase their intracranial pressure to kind of puff up that balloon from the inside and pop those bones out. Sometimes if baby wasn't able to get into an ideal presentation at birth, for example, if mom had an uncorrected type of in utero constraint, and so baby wasn't crowning properly as they were coming through, those cranial bones can really jam together and sometimes they'll even ridge up or overlap. This commonly happens if the birth assistant had to use forceps, vacuum, and it even happens when babies are born C-section as well. So these would areas would feel kind of opposite to the fontanelles. The fontanelles are kind of those little divots, um, and the cranial bones will sometimes ridge up on the sides. If they don't resolve themselves in a day or two, um, my recommendation is to seek out the assistance of either a pediatric chiropractic or a pediatric cranial sacral therapist, um, someone with training in the cranial bones, um, to help those bones come back into their normal alignment. And why do we see the top of the head pulsating sometimes? So your nervous system, the brain, the spinal cord, they have a nourishing fluid that bathes them. This fluid doesn't have an organ like our heart that pumps it. What that cerebral spinal fluid does have, it's called a cranial sacral pump. So the sacrum being the very bottom of the spine, the base of the spine between the pelvis, um, and then the cranium being up here and primarily it's the occipital bone that will create that pumping motion. And so that pump needs to be coordinated in order for it to pump that fluid over the nervous system to bathe it. And sometimes during birth, that will get discoordinated. So it'll be kind of off. So again, craniosacral therapists, pediatric chiropractors, we check that craniosacral rhythm to make sure that nervous system is being bathed with that good fluid. So sometimes you can see it or, you know, I'll feel that pulsation in that area as well. Sometimes when babies cry, they increase that intracranial pressure. Sometimes it can be vascular as well. Um, but oftentimes what moms will feel with that just gentle pulsation of that craniosacral rhythm. Panelists, what was your knowledge of fontanelles before your baby was born? Well, well, if you had asked me before my son was born what a fontanel was, I wouldn't know what you were talking about. <laughs> I've always heard them called soft spots. It's always been a soft spot, you know, and um, after my son was born, you know, the doctor would 
check his fontanel at each and every appointment that we went to, I guess just to make sure that he was growing the way that he needed to, but before birth, nothing. I had no, no idea. No, no clue. Yeah. <laughs> I, my knowledge of it was based on my babysitting years, and I distinctly remember, soft spot, don't poke it. And that was right. that was right. about that was about my knowledge before I had don't the baby. Um, don't don't drop the baby, and don't <laughs> don't poke the soft spot. But it should be there. There's not a hole in your baby's head. It's fine. It should be there. That's that was the extent of my knowledge. And what about you, Luke? What did you know before your first baby was born? I, I didn't know anything about it. I knew about the soft spot, but that's 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 it. Yeah, don't don't poke it. Is what I heard too. <laughs> don't I was, was kind of scared. Kind of scared of it actually after the first one. I learned a little bit more about the second one after going to Dr. Stacy, but I imagine we'll talk about that later. So, Stacy, how gentle should we be with these soft spots, especially when older siblings are concerned? (laughs) So one thing that's really important to understand is even though there is an opening there between the bones of the skull, um, the brain is still covered by that, those meninges like we talked about, which are really thick fibrous, firm, connective tissue. The body, in chiropractic, we talk all the time about innate intelligence, right? So it's the body that, it's that intelligence that exists that took sperm and egg, made a baby, cooked a baby inside, and birthed a baby, right? And so it's not going to just happen to forget this really important part of the top of the brain that needs to be protected. So your body and its innate wisdom has covered that up with a fibrous connective tissue, but that fibrous connective tissue is flexible and it's moldable and it makes all of these things like we talked about possible. You know, of course, course, we have to teach older siblings in general about the art of being gentle with your little brother or little sister. I have two kids at home and and my older girl thought she was going to be a mom to this baby and carry baby around when she was two and a half. So it's something to be aware of. At the same time, I wouldn't lose any more sleep than you're already losing over worrying <laughs> about the soft spot on the top of the head. Um, if your baby does, like if if babies babies do fall, 50% of infants have a severe fall either off a changing table, off a bed by the age of two. So if you're one of those moms that's had that happen, you're not alone. That happens to everybody um, or most people anyways. And so some moms will worry about like, oh my God, that soft spot. Did I drop it? And the only time you would need to be concerned is if you see any bulging coming out of that soft spot. So if there is has been a head trauma or if your child's been unattended with a sibling, you know, and, and they're screaming, crying, you can look for that bulge. Now, that will bulge automatically when they're crying anyways because they've increased that in- intracranial pressure. But if it stays bulging after your infant's settled down, you're holding infant upright, and that still is bulging, that would be a good time to worry and, and go see your doctor. But um, otherwise, a little bit of a poke not gonna not gonna you're not gonna you're not touching your baby's brain you know it's not like skin and then brain it's not like that there's a lot of stuff between baby's brain and the skin that will protect your baby's brain yeah i definitely thought that it was just skin and brain when i was younger and babysitting and you know yeah, i yeah. didn't know better i just learned the same thing as the panelists don't touch it don't even look at it <laughs> yeah just stay away from it when we come back we will continue our discussion about the soft spots on your baby's head we'll be right back Welcome back to the show. We're talking with Dr. Stacy Merlo about fontanelles, the soft spot on your baby's head. Stacy, what changes or developments would you expect to see during the first six months of the infant's life? Yeah, I mean, during the first six months, as a parent, I don't think you're going to notice a lot. You may notice some remodeling of your baby's head, you know, like if baby was in the birth canal for a long time, they may have like kind of a cone head or if 
there was some kind of intervention, whether it's vacuum, forceps, you'll notice your baby's head may have be asymmetrical, things like that. So there is some cranial remodeling. As far as the fontanelles, though, I mean, the posterior fontanelle closes between 8 and 12 weeks. So, But most parents don't even know that one exists, you know, because it is a lot smaller. It's encompassed with a lot more bone. So during that first period, that one will close. So your pediatrician may say, oh, yeah, that's closing up great. Um, the sphenoidal fontanelle closes around six months um, as well. So those two will close earlier. But again, it's not something you're necessarily going to notice on your own. And what changes would occur closer to the first year of life? Yeah, so the, the mastoid fontanelle, which is the next one to close, it closes from between 6 to 18 months after birth. And then the anterior fontanelle, which is that big soft spot on the top of the head, that's the last one to close. And it closes between 12 and 18 months. And what problems might arise if these fontanelles are prematurely closing and should be evaluated by the, by another type of pediatric specialist? Yeah, so I'm going to let our panelists touch on this mostly because she has a lot more experience in this than I do. But premature complete ossification of the sutures is called craniosynostosis. And it's a pathological event um, that occurs oftentimes in utero, but it can also occur apparently after birth as well. And your provider must recognize this condition in early infancy so that patients can be referred to a craniofacial center for timely management. And Sarah, I know you have some expertise in this area as a mom, so would you mind sharing your experience with us? Sure. We took our son in for his four-month well-baby appointment with his pediatrician, and um, he said, I don't want you to be concerned. I don't want you to go home and Google this, but I want you to see a neurosurgeon this week. If you have any trouble getting in, tell me. I'll make sure you get in immediately. So I went home and I Googled craniosynostosis. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and I saw lots of pictures and I said, well, yeah, my kid's head looks like a football too. And uh, it, it should be rounder, right? And we saw a neurosurgeon just a couple of days later. He walked in the room and said, yep, that kid's got craniosynostosis, but I will do a CT scan to be sure. And um, we did one the next day. And they said, uh, go see the plastic surgeon. We want to get surgery done in the next couple of weeks. So we went into Rady Children's Hospital, and um, they told us that his front and back sutures were both closed. So about one in a thousand babies are born with one of them closed. About one in a million babies are born with two of them closed. So our son is one in a million. He sure is. <laughs> we tell him all the time. He's a and, um, so uh, he had a he had a football shaped head. His brain had started to grow out over his eyes and out down the back of his head. So he he looked a little bit like a football. He was narrow down the front and really long when you looked at him um, in the profile. So he went in for an endoscopic surgery. They made a cut at the front of his head and a cut in the back of his head. And a couple of hours later, they had cut out uh, the centerpiece of his skull. They actually removed the bone so that he would have that space that he needed to accommodate the growth of his brain. And we were fitted the next week for a helmet. And he wore that helmet for the first year of his life to remodel his head. We went in once a week and had his helmet reshaped and we had pictures taken. And um, a year later, we got to take that helmet off and he had a perfectly round head. He wore that helmet 23 hours a day, um, took it off one hour a day to clean baby and clean the helmet because it gets a little stinky under all that plastic and foam. And yeah, he was able to get those sutures freed up so that his brain could grow normally and we didn't run into any further problems. There's a lot of follow-up appointments in the first couple of years of life, but he's perfectly healthy and doing well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing. 
Stacey, are there any other abnormalities that would be corrected with the support of chiropractic care? Yeah, Kristen. At our office here in San Diego, we work closely with a variety of birth provider, obstetricians, midwives, doulas, and lactation consultants to help clear any birth traumas that may have occurred to their skull, and even more importantly, to their upper cervical spine during the birth process. One thing that we work a lot with is babies that are having difficulty latching and breastfeeding. If the cranial bones are misaligned during the birth process, or even it can happen just in utero with constraint in the uh, woman's uterus, uh, it can affect the shape of the baby's palate and make it very uh, difficult for baby to latch. Uh, also, tension in the cranium and the jaw area can make it difficult for baby to open their jaw sufficiently to get a good latch. Um, and then and most importantly, uh, as a chiropractor, I'm sort of a nervous system expert. Um, the nervous system being the brain, the spine, all the nerves that exit the spine to go to the rest of the body. It's your master control system. It controls and coordinates everything that happens in your body, heart rate, breathing, digestion. If there's any interference in this nervous system, your body can't function at its best. And uh, one thing that we all go through that causes a lot of nervous system interference is the process of being born. Um, so whether your birth, baby's birth was very natural or very traumatic, there can be stress to and traumas to the baby's skull and spine. And so as a pediatric chiropractor, I see babies as young as hours old to check for nervous system interference and uh, correct it. And Leek, I think you've had some experience having your baby adjusted. Would you mind sharing that experience? Yeah, not at all. Uh, yeah, we uh, we had our, our first one uh, adjusted, and then with our second one, and there were some really great benefits to that. Just one time, the guy just did a, a postpartum uh, check, and then with our second one, we decided we wanted to to have the whole family taken care of because Tracy had did prenatal care with Dr. Stacy. So uh, just a couple days old, we brought Taylor in. Her home birth was a little bit uh, more traumatic, I guess, in that my wife pushed for five and a half hours and she ended up being military presentation, which basically means forehead first. And that increases the circumference of the head by about 50% or more. She also had a hand on her face. So there was just a lot of stress on the, on the baby's uh, cervical spine area and, and head. And we were talking to Dr. Stacy about that. And she was just kind of, uh, you know, feeling around and, and finding out where the baby was sensitive. We noticed she was sensitive in the back of her head. And she showed us where one of those brain plates, whatever those things are called, you guys were talking about the bones. <laughs> the fontanelles, yeah. <laughs> brain plates yeah, are like the that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, bra- the brain guard. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it was pushing over uh, and, and kind of bulged out slightly in the back of her head. And it explained a lot of Taylor's behavior. She sucked very, very hard, much harder than the first one, well, according to Tracy anyway. And she would cry very intensely, not for long periods of time, but when she did, it was, it was pretty gnarly. And so Dr. Stacy kind of helped us understand what those plates are doing, how they move, everything you guys have talked about. And now you can just sort of slightly massage them and touch them and work with them. And uh, so five days in, there was a significant bulge. Dr. Stacy told us about it, uh, kind of d- did some work on her head a little bit. And literally within 48 hours, the plates on the back of her head had moved back up and forward. Her head had changed shape. It was, it was really amazing. And Taylor started sleeping infinitely better right after that. Uh, she was much more calm, much cried much less. So it was a, it was a neat educational experience. Re- really cool. 
Yeah, the first thing that I always let new parents know when they're inquiring about chiropractic care um, is that infant adjusting is very safe and extremely gentle. The amount of force that we use when we're adjusting an infant, um, I use the analogy, it's the amount of force that you could put on your eyeball if you were pushing on your eyeball with your finger. So it's really, really light, really gentle. Some people who have had experience with chiropractic before as an adult or have seen it or have heard about it, they're like, wow, you can't, how can you do that for infants? And, and it's understanding that it's a completely different animal altogether adjusting an infant. It's incredibly gentle and it's incredibly safe. Um, you always want to search out and find a pediatric chiropractor. All chiropractors can adjust infants and babies, but some have extra training and extra passion in taking care of infants and kids. So yeah, it's incredibly gentle. Um, as far as things that people bring their kids in for, so benefits to getting adjusted, we talk about where nervous system experts, brain, spinal cord, that controls and coordinates everything that happens in the body. So we see babies that are fussy, colicky, um, they have breastfeeding issues, digestive issues, earaches, ADD, autism, immune system challenges. So all of those things can respond really well to chiropractic care. Thank you so much, Stacy, and our lovely panelists for joining us today. And thank you so much, Luke, for joining us on the phone. Absolutely. Thank you. And for our Newbies Club members, our conversation will continue after the end of this show as Stacy will share more common reasons chiropractic care may be beneficial for newborns and infants. For more information about the Newbies Club, please visit our website at newmommymedia.com. All right. So before we wrap up today's episode, I have an email that I really wanted to share with you guys. And this comes from Cindy. And Cindy writes, I just finished listening to your episode about the baby blues and your timing couldn't be more perfect. My little girl was born a few months ago and she's our first. So we really didn't know what to expect. I can't really explain it, but I just didn't feel quite right after her birth. I felt disconnected, like I was living someone else's life, and I just couldn't understand why I wasn't able to connect with my baby. Since her birth, those feelings have subsided, but I'm still not feeling 100%. After listening to your episode, I now know that this is probably not just the baby blues anymore, and I should talk with someone about it. Thanks again, Cindy. Cindy, we like to have a lot of fun here on newbies, and you know sometimes our topics though are a little more serious. And and this was an episode that I think kind of fell into that category. It's a little more serious, and I really do appreciate you sharing this with us because this is exactly why we released the episode. This is exactly why this is actually part of an entire series that we're doing on postpartum mental health. So uh, baby blues is the first one. And then we're going to do one on postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, postpartum OCD and postpartum psychosis, because these aren't really talked about a lot. And um, some moms really do go through it. And it can be kind of scary, especially if you're trying to search for stuff online and nothing's coming up. So um, again, Cindy, thanks so much for sending this in. And And if you guys know someone who's struggling with the baby blues right now, please consider sharing that episode with them so they know that there's other moms that are going through it as well. And um, we're so glad that we can help you guys through this. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Newbies. Don't forget to check out our sister shows, Preggy Pals for Expecting Parents, Parent Savers for Moms and Dads with Infants and Toddlers, The Boob Group for Moms Who Breastfeed, and Twin Talks for Parents and Multiples. Thanks for listening to Newbies, your go-to source for new moms and new babies. This has been a New Mommy Media Production.
The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. How would you like to have your own show on the New Mommy Media Network? We're expanding our lineup and looking for great content. If you're a business or organization interested in learning more about our co-branded podcasts, visit our website at newmommymedia.com. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.